The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh. Uh-huh. 
one gospel, the book of Galatians opens with a very clear rebuke to the church in Galatia because they have gone to another gospel. They have deserted the gospel of Jesus that was preached to them, and they have adopted another gospel, but they call that the gospel of Jesus also. This rebuke is so sharp, it's offensive. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has come upon you and convinced you to go another way? So today, let's lay out very clearly, in the name of Jesus, the one gospel. And what does it look like? And how do we tell the difference? And I'm going to give you a simple warning that as you hear this, you will understand that many of you are following the gospel of the Galatians and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is such a deceptive new gospel that flows into our hearts. And I want to lay out very clearly so that we see the difference between these two gospels. It's clear that the will of Jesus is always for us, chapter 1, verse 3, that we live under the divine influence of God, grace, charis, that God loves us and his influence is here in our hearts to turn us toward the one true gospel. He also wants us to have peace. This is not shalom, but it means harmony and prosperity. God wants to bless us. He wants us to live in an atmosphere that is not hostile. He wants us to live in an atmosphere that is peaceful. He does not want to bring trauma into our lives. It is not his will that we live beat up and sorrowful of heart. So the gospel that I'm going to share with you is the gospel of Jesus that brings that harmony. The other gospel brings constant difficulty, brings constant harassment, that overtakes our soul and makes us want to give up. It says in chapter 1, verse 4, that the Lord Jesus gave himself for us to pluck us out of this painful, present, evil age. And evil, of course, does not mean sinful age. It means bitter toil, hardship. Now, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting, changing sides. I'm astonished, he says, that you have so quickly transferred your allegiance to another gospel, to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. You can tell. The Apostle Paul is hopping mad. He's angry. Righteous anger for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. It breaks his heart to see God's people turn to a different gospel that is no gospel at all. Now in verse 10 he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
So let's be very clear. The true gospel is not man-pleasing. The false gospel is exceedingly pleasing to man. Is it any wonder, then, that most of the Christian church in America has gone to the false gospel? Because it pleases them. It gives them a sense of accomplishment, a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense that they can continue to run their own lives and make their own choices and that that's okay with God. God helps those who help themselves is what this false gospel teaches. (coughs) Paul is saying, I am not going to try to please you. I am not here to please you. I am here to call you to leave the way of the flesh and come to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to talk about how he received this gospel as a revelation. He talks about his way of life in Judaism, where everything was about doing it according to the law. He talks about how he finally went up to Jerusalem and presented himself. All of this is review of last Sunday. Now it comes to this verse, and this is where we begin today. We who are Jews by birth, verse 15 of chapter 2. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This word justified, we have to have a very clear understanding. The modern church teaches very clearly that justification is a legal agreement, that justification means that I am pardoned for my past sins. From that point on, I live under the blood of Jesus, declared righteous, but continuing to walk in sin and can never be delivered from that sin until I die. And so basically, death is their savior. This theology is only possible if it fits in with Paul is saying about another gospel. That is a false gospel. Let me try to speak about this this change to the new gospel and what it looks like. When a man is justified, dikasune, made righteous, in justification is also the power to impart to a man a change of heart because he is literally changing sides. All of us have grown up in a culture that says, if it's going to be, it's up to me. We've all been taught that. We've been taught to go out and make it happen. And so now, if we believe that our past sins have been forgiven, our future sins have been forgiven, our present sins are forgiven, we're good to go. We're not restored spiritually. So now, what is left for us to do but go out and do the best we can with what we have? That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, when I come to the cross of Jesus, something has to happen. It's supernatural. It's divine. There must be an impartation of holiness Jesus must give us something called righteousness, innocence. There has to be a total change in that person's heart and in that person's life. It's referred to in Scripture as Jesus spoke in John, the third chapter, 
as being born from above. And Nicodemus, hearing this, says, Can a man be born from above when he's old? Can a man go back into his mama's womb? Mama wouldn't like that. Wouldn't be a, an eight-pound baby then, would it? Might be a 200-pound baby. Foolishness. And Nicodemus is laughing at Jesus. How can you even suggest such a foolish thing that a man must be born from above? But it's also spoken about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So he's talking about going to Golgotha. That's where Jesus was headed when he said that. So a man is born from above when he is willing to die, and in fact does die. The False gospel allows us to be Christians without ever dying. It allows us to continue to walk in our life with all of our ambitions, with all of our dreams, with all of our gifts and talents. It lets us continue. And we look now, Jesus paid the price for my sin, past, present, and future. And now I'm just to be the best I can be in what I do. That's the false gospel. The true gospel says, I have to die. I have to die to my arguments, to my self-justification. I have to die to my ambition. I have to die to my control of my life. I come to Jesus and there must be a death to be born from above. Because a 200-pound man can't go back into mama. There has to be a corpse. You in your flesh must become a corpse. This is the gospel of Jesus that we come to the cross and we die at the cross. We are born from above at the cross. We are born as a baby in Jesus at the cross. If you have not died and you are struggling to be a Christian, it's because you're struggling in your flesh to be a Christian. But Christianity is not a self-help deal. It's not a deal where we practice on strategies for how do I talk to my husband? What are the social rituals I need in my marriage? What, what do I have to do with my, with my profession so I can improve myself and make the money I want to make? How do I change my business so that it reflects the success I want out of it? All of that is out of the false gospel. In the gospel of Jesus, we lay down our life. It's over. It's finished. The lust is done. Pornography is done. Love of money is done. That belongs to the old man of flesh. Anger and bitterness. Arguments. It's over. That belongs to the old man that died. We have to have a very clear understanding in our mind what it costs to become a Christian. We give up our life like Jesus Christ gave up his life. He didn't say, take up your cross and follow me as an exercise in weightlifting. It wasn't a yoga exercise. It was meant for the flesh to die, to be finished. If we do not die and remain in Christ, we are in a false gospel. And you can see, you can feel in your own heart, What I'm saying is not pleasing to the human heart. The human heart does not want to be told, you have to die. We want to be told instead, look, 
If I do these things and I do them right, God will bless you. If I do these things, then God owes me. God doesn't owe us anything except hell. He owes us his judgment. He doesn't owe us love. He doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us anything. We are a part of the prison planet called Earth. We are a part of the rebellious people who have been declared guilty before the throne of God. We don't come demanding of God. We have no basis upon which to demand anything of God. We come out of his gracious call on our heart. We, call, we come out of his mercy in deciding that he would deliver us from death and destruction. So to imagine that I can accept the grace of Jesus and now somehow go out and begin to swing my own sword is insanity, moral insanity. There must be a death. Let me read this scripture to you. Verse 15 of Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. That is absolute persuasion and fidelity. We have placed our future in the hands of Jesus that we may be made righteous, justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, I want you to see that, this justification in Christ is not an easy turnover deal. None of us die with dignity. There's one farm animal that dies with no dignity. That's a pig. Pigs don't die with dignity. We don't die with dignity. It's not pretty to watch the flesh be put to death. Watch this. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. So many times, a person will begin to enter into the process of dying, and then halfway through, grab a hold of the gospel and say, Oh, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm good to go. And now off on their own, they travel. And they begin to rebuild in their hearts what the Holy Spirit was beginning to put to death. I've watched many men and women shipwreck their faith because the dying became too hard. Now, some of us can die quickly and easily. Others of you will take 10 years to die. There's no reason to take 10 years to die, except some of us are more resistant to death than others. Some of us are real hardheads, and we want to follow Jesus and say we're a Christian and still be a hardhead, and still demand our own way, still be offensive, still be judgmental, still be pushing out the flesh. If we rebuild what's destroyed in the Spirit, does that mean Jesus is approving? Is he a minister of sin? No. So the false gospel is a pleasing gospel to our flesh because it lets us think we are saved while we work hard on changing what we want to change and creating our own life as we want to create it. 
Isn't that the best of all possible worlds? No, it's not. I'll tell you why. Because as we try to create our own life, we find the Spirit of God withdraws from us. We find we are left to our own devices. And we find that Satan can come in and ravage us at will because he knows just the right buttons to push in our heart to make us begin to rage. A raging person hasn't died yet. It's a process to die. But that death has to be completed before the Holy Spirit can really begin to move and use us for the work of the gospel. How can you go to somebody to teach them about Jesus when you're still fully alive in the flesh? There's no spirit power to break through and to convict and to change. Change begins in here, not out there. Change begins here, in my heart. Jesus said, deny yourself. That's the first place it begins. Deny yourself the right to get mad. Deny yourself the right to be that whatever you want to fill in. We deny ourselves. How do we deny ourselves? Not by human strength. Not by human energy. We deny ourselves by saying, Jesus, get this put to death in me. It's not by our hard work that we're saved. The process is Jesus coming by the power of the Spirit and exposing the truth of our heart so that we begin to see how we're still clutching to our life. And as we're getting that picture, Jesus says, now will you give it to me? Will you let me come in and do this work in your heart? Will you let me renovate this room? Will you let me get the trash carried out of this living room? Will you let me clean out your bedroom? And he begins to go through each part of our life, scrubbing it out, cleaning it by the blood. Will you give it to me? And in the process, you're dying. And you're created into a new person, a new being in Christ Jesus. But at any point, you get tired of this process. You can say, okay, that's enough. I mean, I've sat in the dentist's chair and said, whoa, 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 whoa. And he pulls the the drill out. He says, what's wrong, Ray? I'm feeling that. I need another shot. Let's get that numbed. All right, let's take time. I mean, Jesus will take time. He'll stop the drilling. And he'll say, do you need a, a shot? Let's get this work done. Let's get this stuff cleaned out of our hearts. The hopelessness, the bitterness, the, dis, the, the ambition. Let's get it all cleaned out. Let's recognize we have to die in Jesus Christ. See, we're so full of ourselves, so full of our demands, so full of our expectations, our even expectations of Jesus. And when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, we pout, we get mad, we say, What's this deal? I gave myself to you, Jesus. You're supposed to. And we begin to tell God what his job is. Can I tell you? He hung the earth in space. He doesn't need my help on how to save my soul. I put myself wholly in his hands and trust that the one who hung the earth in space and keeps it spinning can certainly transform my heart and change me into the person he wants me to be. God doesn't need to be told in our prayers what he has to do. Should I say that again? God doesn't need to be told in our prayers what he should be doing. God, you have to change this person. You have to get this person out of my face. You have to change my husband. You have to change my wife. God, you have to do this. 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do anything. He's God. God, I need this money. Do you need it, Ray, or do I need it? No, God needs it. God creates it. And God does it. I'm not here for my ego to be built. I'm not here to become somebody. I'm here to die and to stay dead. I challenge you. What happens when someone kicks you? Go to a graveyard this afternoon and go kick a grave. See what happens. That person's dead. They don't care if you walk over them. I have never had a dead person rise up and say, you have to please me. You owe me. No, they're dead. We're called to be dead in the flesh, dead in the spirit of man, and alive in the spirit of God. Now watch what happens. If I rebuild, this is chapter 2, verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. How do I die to the law? Because I see the demands the law has. I see my inability to meet those demands. And so I die. The law puts me to death. This is hopeless. But I turn to Jesus Christ and I say, I'm dead. I can't do this, but you can, Jesus. I became aware this week of my own depth of unbelief. It was just a growing consciousness, a growing awareness as I went about the work of God this week that there is not one detail of my life that he is not willing to order according to his will, that it's my job to die out and let him have his way in my life. It's not by chance that I'm here at this pulpit with you today. I didn't choose this. The Lord chose this. He chose for you to be here. He sent you. I don't want anything in my life anymore that comes about by my flesh. I renounce everything that comes about by my will. I want what Jesus wants. And when we begin to understand that he is the one in control. Now, earlier, our brother testified that when they did, went to Detroit, it seemed like God pulled back. Well, how many times I've experienced this? where I'm very clear, God wants me to go somewhere. He wants me to do something. And I say, great, let's go. I'll obey you. Let's go. And I get there and he's gone. And I used to say, Lord, it's like you've gone on vacation. Where are you? And what I've learned is that he leaves, he pulls back in order to see whether or not I will press in. And whether or not I'll think, okay, he's not here. I'd better go ahead and get something started here. And if I get something started, then I'm responsible to keep it going. And now suddenly I have to become a people pleaser to keep people coming to my deal to keep happening what I want to have happen. And now you have the modern church. Great business, filled with entertainment, filled with things of the flesh, because... The Holy Spirit's not directing it, and he's not building it. He's not creating it. Human spirit is building it and creating it. So now the game has to go on. So you do whatever you have to do to keep all the plates in the air. I will not live that way. I want what Jesus wants. And if that's nothing happening, then I want nothing happening. I want Jesus to come and finish utterly and finally and fully the transition from all ways of the flesh 
into all ways of the Spirit of the living God. Now, how do we get there? Well, let me talk briefly about my experience in this. When the Lord told me to close the church that was my church, that had been produced by my own guerrilla marketing, a large, successful church, we closed the church and went off salary. And I was clear that we were to go somewhere else and begin again. And so we sold our furniture, we raised money, and we moved to Moreno Valley, California. And we were there to start a new church. So I immediately went out and rented office space in a space where the church could meet to begin, signed a contract, got a nice house, signed a contract. We're ready to go. And God went on vacation, and we were hung. And that began a period of time on one side, desperately looking for a job, even investing the last monies we had in franchise opportunities, and everything we touched crumbled and went to nothing. So we took the last $4,000 we had of credit on a credit card and invested it in one last business attempt. After they got our money, the company went bankrupt. The president was embezzling. We lost it. My wife was able to find a job, director of operations for a large hospital concern, and she began to work for a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, who was the chairman of the Orange County Medical Society. Very reputable man. And then we learned what a Sikh Indian believes. And he told her that he had been praying at his altar in his home, and his God had told him to hire her. And as soon as I heard that, I said, Jan, we're in trouble. Because it wasn't the Spirit of God that brought that job, it was the devil. And then all kinds of spiritual manifestations began to happen around us. We would be sitting at our kitchen table and there would be a loud knocking on the, on the clear glass sliding door. And I got up and swung the door open and there in front of me was a demon spirit, swirling, screaming. We were terrified. That began a period of weeks where every power of Satan manifest in our home. Chairs being knocked over, beds floating. I mean, you name it, we faced it. It was total demonic activity. And Jan came home and said, I've quit my job. What you're doing is safer than what I'm doing. I'm done. And so I began day by day to read the scripture with her, to teach her the word. And I began praying from early in the morning until late at night, laying on my face in an empty bedroom in that beautiful house, crying out to God, because I knew I could not create anything that would rescue us. And the money all ran out, and we ate the condiments for the last meal. We made tomato soup out of the ketchup. We ate everything in the house, and there was nothing left. And we said, what now? And I began to think, I'm going to die I'm going to walk out into the desert and die. I've got to get Jan to a safe place. How do I do that? She refused to go anywhere. She said, I'm staying with you. And that morning I got up. All I could do was weep. I was at the end. Now, remember, I told you some die easy and some die hard. I die hard. I knew my life was over. And I got a bath and I began to scream at God. I'm going to die. It was one of those times when he answered audibly, and he said, good, I've been waiting for you to die. 
And that ignited even more rage in my heart. Look what I've been through. Look what I've done for you. How can you say that to me? And he very quietly said back audibly again, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. And everything inside of me just crashed. He said, I'm not my own. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he asked me a question. Are you willing to receive from my hand only that which I will give you? And I foolishly or wisely said yes. Because I knew from that moment forward, I would never provide for myself again. That either he would provide for me or I would die. As he began to withdraw, I could sense his withdrawal. I didn't want him to leave. I said, wait, is there anything else? He said, yes, stop watching television. And then he was gone. Very quickly after that, a man came to our door with bags of food, embarrassed, saying, this is a beautiful house. Do do you need food? The Holy Spirit told me to bring food to your house. Unloaded the bags. We had dinner that night. We were hungry. The next day, the Lord opened the way miraculously for me to have the money necessary to pay everything, all the bad debts, the house, the car that had a repo order on it, everything was covered. And then the Lord said, now go back to Washington, D.C. I said, Lord, no, I can't tell Jan that. She won't go. We've done D.C. I told Jan. She said, nope. I said, Jan, I'm going back. With or without you, I'm going back. She said, okay, then I have to have some signs. I said, no chance. She said, yes. I need to know that God spoke to you and that this is not just your own emotional upset. I said, okay, what are the signs? One, a radio station has to call and invite you to come and be on their station. I said, Jan, that's not going to happen. It's not how they work. And not only that, they have to give you a free program to do. I said, Jan, that's not how they work. Two, property has to be donated for the new church, 25 acres. I said, Jan, you're crazy, but let's pray about it. So we got on our knees and began to pray. And while we're on our knees praying, our telephone rings. Jan says, you better answer it. That's one sign number one. I went and answered the telephone. It was the manager of a radio station, Christian station here in D.C., saying, Ray, we need you to come back to Washington. I'd like you to do a show for me. I said, what? Yes, we have a half-hour show. We'd like you to do it. We won't pay you, but we won't charge you. And in addition, we'll give you a very good price on your own program. I said, I'll pray about it. I went back and told Jan, and she said, you're halfway there. (laughs) That afternoon, another phone call came from a very wealthy landowner in Montgomery County. He said, Ray, you need to come back to Washington. I said, there's a problem. I can't come back if we don't have property to build a church on. He said, don't worry, I'll give you 25 acres. I went back and told Jan, and she said, we better pack. We packed, and then after we had everything packed, we ran out of money. It was $3,000 to hire a U-Haul truck at that point from California to Washington, D.C. We didn't have a dollar. We were running out of food again. I went back to the prayer closet again and lay on my face day after day, fasting and waiting on God. As I did that, Jan packed the house. She's a better packer than I was. The whole house was packed. Week after week, we sat. 
We saw that another payment was coming up. We had broken our office contract. We'd made arrangements to move out of the house, but we had no money to move. A man had asked me to sell a gem for him. It was an 18-carat beautiful sapphire, gorgeous, one that royalty would wear. I had taken it to Leeds Jewelry Store in Palm Springs and put it on consignment. It wouldn't sell. One morning, the phone rang, and it was the representative from Leeds Jewelry Store saying, your sapphire just sold. What do you want me to do? I said, I want you to meet us out on the road, and we have made a place. And I said, send the rest of the cost of the sapphire. My commission was 15%. Send the rest of it to the attorney who owned the sapphire. Give me 15%. We moved to Washington. Now I've had others say, Pastor, I hear your story. I want to die out too. And so I'm going to do the same thing you did. Well, be aware that if you're going to do the same thing I did, you're going to have to lay on your face until you're totally stripped of every ounce of flesh you have and every dime you possess. And you have to be willing to say, I'll die in this place if I have to. But I'm waiting waiting on God. That's the price. My advice is go get a job, get established in the body of Christ. This is for you too. Get established in the body of Christ and then wait on him for open the way, to open the way for you. Please hear what I'm saying to you today. You cannot walk in the flesh and please the living God. What you want has to die. Any other way is a false gospel. Everything that brings you nurturance, everything that brings you life outside of Jesus Christ has to be severed and put on the altar. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your profession, everything has to be laid on the altar of Jesus Christ. And then you wait for his direction and you do what he tells you to do. You operate in the spirit of the living God. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Every person who is willing to die to their own life will be filled by the presence of Jesus. And out of that presence of Jesus, everything will be made plain. But for some of us, it's a long journey because there are many lessons to be learned about how to give up my authority and my bitterness and my anger and my self-rights. The natural human heart beginning to take this walk of crucifixion will constantly turn away from Jesus when the suffering becomes too great. And a root of bitterness will grow in your heart and the rage will increase when you don't get your way. And as you continue to pursue Jesus in the prayer closet, in the reading of his word, in obeying and doing what you believe you're supposed to be doing now, even though it's a common job. I mean, we'll take a job we don't like, and then people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't like this job. I'd like to move over here. I said, stop. Stop. Stay where you're at. Die out where you're at. Jesus can use any job to cause you to die out. He can cause any relationship to cause you to die out. The issue is, will you die out? I mean, Zach is in a job he's not excited about. Nothing in that job pleases his flesh. 
I wouldn't have told him to take it. But he didn't ask me. And that was okay. He took it. Jesus wants him to die out in that job. And when he's dead in it, the Holy Spirit will open the next window for him. And this time he'll know it's Jesus. And with joy, he'll go into the next place Jesus has for him. It won't be the end all and be all, though. The next job will just be a place that will get him to die out deeper. And it'll be training. And it'll be discipline. Because Jesus wants to use these things to work in our hearts, to cause us to totally give ourselves to Jesus. You've heard this, my dear people. You've heard it over and over. It's all about Jesus. Well, guess what? It really is. It really is about Jesus. We want to go spend eternity with him. He wants to get us ready to go spend eternity with him. He's not going to take us into heaven and scrub us up. They're not going to have a delicing pool as we enter into heaven. No, we're going to have to be clean in the blood before we even start heading that direction. And some of us have carried a lot of lice, sucking away our time and our energy, things we've even created. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you hear that? The life I live in the body, in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's the one who gives me my food and my shelter and my transportation and the business opportunities and the places to step into service for his kingdom. He's the one who gives me that. I don't have my body and my life and Jesus over here. They're one. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't set aside the divine favor of God that's upon my life. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If this is a deal you can work out on your own, you don't need Jesus. If you think all you have to do is your best, and that'll be enough, you've missed the true gospel of Jesus. The true gospel of Jesus says, lay your life down, be crucified with Christ, and now allow him to begin to open for you relationships, job opportunities, all the things that life needs, the car. Just talked to a young man, just graduated from seminary, had a job offer in ministry. He's been praying for that, but it's way down in Haymarket, Virginia. He said, I turned it down. I said, why did you turn it down? Because I have no transportation. I said, I thought you were called to the ministry. Why didn't you move to Haymarket? Why are you still living with Mama? Because Mama has a good job. So his Jesus is Mama. He didn't trust Jesus. I said, why don't you have a car? Well, I don't have a driver's license. Why don't you have a driver's license? Well, I don't know. I just never bothered. I said, isn't it time, preacher, for you to grow up? How can you serve Jesus if you're with Mama? You don't need Mama. You need Jesus. You need to get a car. Well, how do I get a car? I don't have any money. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you, including a car. Well, I said, no. I'm interviewing for some other jobs. So I said, in other words, ministry for you is a job. Can I advise you, please? Drop your interest in ministry and go get a job and live with mama. He was not pleased with that advice. Come on, it's time for all of us to grow up in our death, in our crucifixion, to stop dwelling in anger, stop the hostile words in our hearts, stop turning away from Jesus, put our trust in him, cry out to him, ask that the gates of righteousness would be opened for our lives and our hearts, that we could be like Jesus and watch the miraculous things. If he can hang the earth in space, can't he hang your life in space without mama? This Jesus we serve is awesome. Nothing is too hard for him. He can change a man or a woman's heart. He can heal the broken body. He can open doors of opportunity that we could have tried for years to force open and never successfully do it. I want Jesus. I don't need religion. I need Jesus. Ask Jesus what the next step is in your crucifixion and ask him to hurry and get it done. You don't need to spend the next year getting crucified unless, like me, you were hard-headed and slow. This is not a work that needs to take a long time, but most of us make it take a long time. And that's okay. There are lessons we have to learn. Some of you in this room have been fighting with God for a long, long time. Isn't it time to give up the fight? A young woman came on Friday night to the house for the meeting. And as soon as the meeting was over, I turned to her. She was sitting next to me. I turned to her and I said, are you still with this non-Christian man that you were with a year ago? And she said, yes, I am. I said, how's it going? She said, well, we just broke up again. I said, is it done? Are you willing to wait and let Jesus bring the man into your life that he wants you to have? Or do you have to have this man? Well, she smiled and she said, you know, there's a lot about him that I really love. I said, is he a man or a boy? She said, well, Pastor, I'll be honest, he's really a boy. He's never grown up. I said, so you want to raise him? You want to be mama? You want to raise this boy? No, I don't. I want him to be a man. Well, you think you can force him to be a man? No, but if I keep loving him, he might become one. I said, my dear, you told me all of this one year ago. If I played the play recorder of last year, you would have heard yourself saying all the same things. It's been a year. How long do you have to keep going around the mulberry bush? Isn't there some point where you have to grow up? And say, I'm not going to waste another year of my life in this deal. Isn't there some point where you have to begin to walk righteous before God? So I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you put this young man, this boy, in the hands of Jesus and keep your hands off him and walk morally clean before God? He said, are you morally clean? No, I'm not. Well, you're in trouble with Jesus. So how about walking morally clean with Jesus? And put this man and ask Jesus to either grow him up or kick him out. He'll do it. You hear what I'm saying to you? Are you still saying things that you were saying a year ago or six months ago? Still the same excuses, still the same bitterness, still the same anger. Isn't it time to be crucified with Christ? 
to lay our lives down. That's the gospel. It's a gospel of freedom. It's a gospel of love. It's a gospel of joy. It's a gospel of Jesus Christ coming in and doing everything in our hearts. Isn't it time? Mighty God, I love you. And I want to be the man that you want me to be by being crucified with you and totally transformed into your likeness. Lord, I pray for strength for the journey for each one in this room today. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. For Lord, we're all at different stages in this dying and living process. And Lord, when we become men and women, you give us assignments that are absolutely incredible and life-threatening. You did for Paul. You sent him out. You did for Peter. Lord, all the apostles, but John, you had them martyred. But Lord, the joy and the love and the peace at being given over to you and filled with your presence made it all worthwhile. Lord, thank you. Bless your people today. Encourage their hearts. I pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Oh
Oh